These tools are for you to use. Hey, I'm Dave Marr, a comedian who survived a coma and woke up with more questions than answers, and you're listening to This Is Your Afterlife. My guest this week is Matt Sage. Matt Sage is a member... Okay, how will we do this? Matt Sage is a musician, a multi-instrumentalist, a, a songwriter, a, um, a pioneer... In, in the world of socially distanced art creation, um, along with his three bandmates, Chris Jussel, Chaz Primek, and Patrick Shiroishi, um, they, they created four albums this past year to coincide with the seasons. And those four albums are incredible. The most recent one is called Natsukashi, and it's the summer album, and it completes the the album cycle. Uh, the first one was called Fubitsushi, and that is now the name of their band. Does, does that make sense? Four dudes, they play a bunch of instruments, they record them uh, socially distanced, and, uh, and they, they create this magical music that has been very important to me over the last year in terms of getting me through walks and naps and mornings writing um, while being in a fucking pandemic. So very grateful to Matt and his bandmates. I will link a story in the Chicago Reader in the show notes about Fubitsushi and their process. And um, yeah, Matt was just a really great hang great great conversation we have a lot in common as you will hear in this episode to the point where there are, there are points when i uh, could not even continue to speak because i was surprised by continued things we had in common so listen to matt's music fubitsushi's music i will link all that stuff in the show notes also you can hear an expanded version of this conversation if you subscribe to my Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr and you will hear a lot more intro music talk at the beginning. And you will also, if you subscribe at the right level, you'll get to hear uh, some bonus content later this week. I just released a playlist of all Rhodes Piano uh music. It's a specific type of electric piano that I, I think is like literally one of the most beautiful sounds in on the planet. And I released that playlist on Patreon and I'm really happy with it. I'm really excited about it. I want to share it with more people. If you sign up for even $3, you will get that playlist. I also want to give a shout out to my Pigeon Level subscribers, Katie Llewellyn, Kurt Chang, Susie Carroll, and Fred Fidoa. Thank you all for making this show happen. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Matt for coming on the show. And with only a little further ado, we will get into my conversation with Matt. Now, that further ado is a poem. It is a Walt Whitman poem that Matt sent me to... Um, the, he, he heard about the concept of the show 
and he thought about sharing it with me on the podcast, but instead he sent it to me right after. Um, it's a Walt Whitman poem called This Compost. And he he was he said this is this poem is basically the closest thing to a uh, a belief I have about the afterlife, and we agreed that I would read it before we got into this interview. So in just a second, I'm going to read this compost by Walt Whitman, and before that, I'm going to start a little music. This is Fubatsushi. It is their most recent album the final song, which is called I Hold Dearly, in parentheses, for miles. And so I'll get that music going now. And here it is, this compost by Walt Whitman. One, something startles me where I thought I was safest. I withdraw from the still woods I loved. I will not go now on the pastures to walk. I will not strip the clothes from my body to meet my lover the sea. I will not touch my flesh to the earth as to other flesh to renew me. Oh, how can it be that the ground itself does not sicken? How can you be alive, you growths of spring? How can you furnish health, you blood of herbs, roots, orchards, grain? Are they not continually putting distempered corpses within you? Is not every continent worked over and over with sour dead? Where have you disposed of their carcasses, those drunkards and gluttons of so many generations? Where have you drawn off all the foul liquid and meat? I do not see any of it upon you today, or perhaps I am deceived. I will run a furrow with my plow. I will press my spade through the sod and turn it up underneath. I am sure I shall expose some of the foul meat. Two. Behold this compost, behold it well. Perhaps every mite has once formed part of a sick person, yet behold, the grass of spring covers the prairies, the bean bursts noiselessly through the mold in the garden, the delicate spear of the onion pierces upward, the apple buds cluster together on the apple branches, the resurrection of the wheat appears with pale visage out of its graves. The tinge awakens over the willow tree and the mulberry tree. The he-birds carol mornings and evenings while the she-birds sit on their nests. The young of poultry break through the hatched eggs. The newborn of animals appear. The calf is dropped from the cow, the colt from the mare. Out of its little hill faithfully rise the potato's dark green leaves. Out of its hill rises the yellow maize stalk. The lilacs bloom in the dooryards. The summer growth is innocent and disdainful above all those strata of sour dead. What chemistry, that the winds are really not infectious, that this is no cheat, this transparent greenwash of the sea which is so amorous after me, that it is safe to allow it to lick my naked body all over with its tongues, that it will not endanger me with the fevers that have deposited themselves in it, that all is clean forever and forever, that the cool drink from the well tastes so good, that blackberries are so flavorous and juicy, that the fruits of the apple orchard and the orange orchard, that melons, grapes, peaches, plums, will none of them poison me, that when I recline on the grass I do not catch any disease, 
though probably every spear of grass rises out of what was once a catching disease. Now I am terrified at the earth. It is that calm and patient. It grows such sweet things out of such corruptions. It turns harmless and stainless on its axis, with such endless successions of diseased corpses. It distills such exquisite winds out of such infused fetter. It renews with such unwitting looks its prodigal, annual, sumptuous crops. It gives such divine materials to men and accepts such leavings from them at last. So this is Matt Sage. The way it seems like you with a lot of your stuff are like big on just like name, comma, name, comma, name, comma Mm -hmm. style of accrediting. And like two, I I feel like I've heard people refer to ECM as a genre before, oh, but yeah, seeing definitely... that in your liner notes was like, this is a genre, and I fuck, with, I like this, yeah. I fuck with this genre pretty heavy, you know? Yeah, we're hardcore ECM dudes for sure. And it was uh, like, I was like, oh, because it's confused. Because it at first I'm like, this is fucking confusing. I don't, I'm not going to remember everybody's last name every in the order so it comes long. in. <laughs> but it's it kind of functions in the way that like a human name does, where it's like what's contained in Matthew Sage who you know yep. it's the it's the essence of Jack Dejanet and Keith Jarrett and whatever these fucking <laughs> yeah. guys are it's not like they're telegraphing to you the stooges or something where you're like okay i have this like image of this container for this music already it feels less like a brand i think which is kind of yeah. nice like i love yeah. and i like I'm obsessed with band names. I've had this like long running obsession in my life with band names. And I could talk for like 45 minutes about the band name Aerosmith with you at like, uh, because I think it's the most beautiful band name that's ever been. Wait, give me the too long didn't read version. Okay. Uh, Aerosmith could be the band name for any band. It is a beautiful word that means almost nothing. And it's really, really unfortunate that the band Aerosmith has the band name Aerosmith. Because like, can you imagine like a really sick ECM group with the name Aerosmith or like, <laughs> like a heavy, like, like if there was a band that opened for Sun and they're, they were called Aerosmith, they would fucking rip. Aerosmith is like one of the best band names that's ever been and ever will be. And Aerosmith, the band is one of my least favorite bands ever. That's but my. There's that's like, some good like old arrows. Yeah, there's some good right there. and like yeah, and it's very. I know it's very divisive for me to be like, uh, or like almost even contrarian because Aerosmith like deserves their place in the canon. But like, I don't love Aerosmith. There's yeah. so many. I would so much rather listen to the Stones or the Beatles or whatever. Of course, of course. So, I but, just feel like if you're that obsessed with the name, you would find ways to redeem the music for yourself somehow. You but I don't I mean? need the music. I just love the band name. <laughs> it's but the, the best thing band you're name. describing. Sell me on the E on the A E R. Oh, that's like the it's so sexy and like mysterious. Like it could just be A R R O W and it's like someone who makes arrows. Okay, whatever. Jethro Toll, get a life. But instead, it's like A E R O S M I like yeah. whoa. Is it like a German space corporation or is it like, do they <laughs> yeah, make yeah, yeah. race cars? What is it? And I am into it. 
Matt Sage, what do you hope happens when you die? Um, I have a, like a, I, I have a fantasy version and then something uh, more like what I actually expect to happen. And the fantasy version, it's sort of like uh, disintegrating into this like giant sandy desert. That's just like bliss and uh, everything happens and nothing happens and that's it. And it might last for a second, but it also might last for an eternity. That's what I hope for. Where does the desert factor in? In what way is it? Well, just like uh, I'm one piece of sand that becomes a part of a giant. It's like the bowl of milk idea kind of, but drier maybe. (laughs) Wait, wait, is the bowl of milk similar to the like wave in the ocean? Yes, you got it. Yep. Okay. Uh, That's kind of what I hope for. That's like my ultimate hope is something more along those lines. Uh, What I actually expect is that – I'm just going to be like some energy on planet earth that gets redistributed into leaves and dirt and grass. And that's also really sexy to me. I'm excited about that too. Okay. Are you, it sounds like there's no individual consciousness in the second one. Uh, not as much. No. In the first one, is there, is it like you're part of things, but there's still a little bit of you that has traces, vestigial madness. Maybe like we, I think part of why it would be paradise is because we all would carry that little piece of ourselves into that like whirlpool of existence. Mm -hmm. And we would also all get to be together in that with that like individuality. But I think that that's too uh, pie in the sky. And I think it's, uh, I think ego death is probably the best thing that can happen to a human being. Like losing that madness. That sounds pretty dreamy to me too, though. Why? Because we like, I don't know, at least me as a person. Uh, I mean, I love myself and have gone to therapy a long time to get to those places. <laughs> but, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we burden ourselves with carrying around this giant ego that we like tie around our neck and have to bring into every room we go into. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think it would just be really nice to not have that, even if it was just for like, I mean, eternity is a long time to not have it. And that sounds pretty exciting. But even if it's just for like a moment and then like we start building ego again when we reestablish into a grass or dirt or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Does dirt have an ego? That's another question, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> that's, where, like, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I grew just, up like hardcore evangelical Christian. And so okay, I sort so of had to make me my own too. What, like, what flavor of evangelical Christian? Uh, it was non-denominational, Same. which I yeah, think yeah, is yeah. like maybe one of the most tricky flavors because then it's like like one week someone's speaking in tongues at your church and then the next week it's just like everyone does like praise and worship. And then at the Christmas service, there's like interpretive dancing to Enya. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. That was sort of my upbringing in the church. And okay. so- uh, that was my next question was speaking in tongues, yes or no. Because I've learned that a lot of non-denominational churches did not speak in tongues, which is- Mine definitely did. But it was like a specific too, yeah. section. It was like a, a specific section of the church. Like there was like three rows that sat at the front left. And oh. that was like where you would go to speak in tongues. And then everyone else was just like, oh yeah, they're speaking in tongues this week. So, yeah. Did you, did your church make- tapes of the pastor's sermons. Hell yeah. 
I just uh, remembered that recently that one of mine did. And it's like, wow, there's in some ways, you know, as a, I assume a little bit of a tape guy and as a newly budding tape guy myself, I'm like, that's actually kind of incredible. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But it's also like, wow, the speaking of ego, the ego involved to be like, I need this. But then at the same time as a comic, I'm like, well, you got to record your sets. You got to you record know? your sets. Yeah. Uh, the I guess first, I'm a fan. The first tape duplicators we ever used to make patient sounds tapes, like the first three patient sounds tapes were dubbed on duplicators bought from a church that was shutting down. That like duplicated pastor's sermons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And people would travel with those like vinyl, like covered um like sets it was like the set on wealth or on yep disciplining your children or yeah uh our we our church had a thing he got really uh the pastor got really into this uh series called streetwise and i can't remember it was an acronym of course and i can't remember wait uh, it was a like nine or ten letter acronym it was a huge acronym and There was like giant felt banners that said streetwise and there was like all of these words. Uh, And then there was like a whole streetwise series of tapes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) What was, what was the name of the church? Uh, It was E-Assist, E-Assist Fellowship. Yeah. And I don't know what E-Assist. Yeah. I'll I'll put it in uh, E-Assist. I'll put it in chat. It's like Oasis with an I. I don't know. I don't know. It keeps changing it to Oasis. And it's okay. That sounds like a band that couldn't claim Oasis, so they changed it to Easis. Easis, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the church. Mine was, wor- I had, we had Word of Life. Um, I went to a life church for a while, too. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there was just an Assemblies of God church, which I realized was Lynette like- Lynette was an Assemblies of God person. Okay. Because that's yes. a whole, that actually is a denomination, a but it's very similar to- Yeah. Yeah. And that was yeah. just named after the area. It was like Tri-County Assembly. Yeah. There was also a Tri-County Mall. So it's like, yeah. They ran pretty, on the same business model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about funeral planning. Okay. Do you have plans? Do you have thoughts of plans? Yes. I uh, I have three options, depending on the legality of the options. Okay. I'm going to go most illegal first. Yes. Funeral pyre is my like first. I would love to be burned on a funeral pyre, but it is illegal in 49 states, except for Colorado, where I'm from. It is now legal to be burned on a funeral pyre, which is also, it's a wild choice legislatively, in my opinion, because Colorado is like one of the driest states in America and it's always on fire. And they're going to let these like libertarian bros who I know are going to be the ones to do it, like build their own, like have their family build funeral pyres. It seems really uh, inopportune, but (laughs) I would, I would demand that my funeral pyre be really safe and there would be someone there with a fire extinguisher just in case things get out of hand. (laughs) Funeral pyre is choice one. Okay, but a fire extinguisher at a funeral is fire is like, man, that's some, I I don't even know the group, but that's somebody's sketch like waiting to happen. Just like the weirdest, saddest, like how burned is the body at that point? And you're, oh, yeah, that's Uh, okay. But that sounds, that also sounds good to me. Like uh, I would love, there's joy in that. Yeah, Yeah. I would love for people to laugh at my funeral. So Mm -hmm. uh, funeral pyres, number one. Number two is a mushroom suit. do you know about the mushroom suit? Is this the okay? It might be slightly di- no. It's 
I'm thinking of Corpus Mundi, the egg that a tree grows out of. You put your body in the egg with all these nutrients and it grows into a tree, yeah, which has which come is cool up innumerable times on this cool show. Cool as hell. Yeah. I feel like uh, the mushroom suit is like uh, the deeper cut of the Corpus Mundi. <laughs> okay, the B-side Corpus Mundi. <laughs> yeah, it's like Mundi. a B-side, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. A B-side nugget. Uh, <laughs> it's basically like a suit full of mushroom spores and they bury you in the ground without anything else around you but this mushroom suit. And the mushrooms uh, use your body and decompose you very, very quickly, and then attach you to the mycelial network. So like you become a part of planet Earth very quick. You get plugged in right away. You help trees communicate to each other uh, and all sorts of other crazy stuff. So the mushroom suit. And then uh, if all else fails, uh, cremation, and then my ashes would be scattered in a lake. Any lake? Uh, There's a specific lake. In Colorado? Yeah, Yeah, it's in Nebraska, actually. But uh, my dad's from Nebraska. And this is like a whole other thing, but I just put an, an album, a solo album out called the wind of things. That's sort of mm-hmm. like about, uh, my experiences. My dad was a competitive sailboat racer in Nebraska as a kid. And then like became nationally renowned as like a sailboat racer, uh, for like small Sounds boats. Sounds like a John Cheever story or something. Like it's that. yeah, it's very, uh, out, it's kind of outrageous and very, it's also kind of twee and beautiful. <laughs> uh, my dad is a rock star. And he, so I grew up on sailboats and, uh, he grew up sailing on a lake in Nebraska called Lake McConaughey, which is like, uh, there's nothing out there, but it's like 26 miles long and three miles across. It's just like huge, huge lake in the middle of Nebraska. And we used to go two or three times a year. And, uh, some of my happiest moments in my life were at that lake. So that's great. Yeah. The mushroom suit. Yes, Not th- that's but that's uh, really like the pyre is really cool to me, but I don't think it's going to happen. I real the mushroom suit is really where I'm at. Well, I I think I feel like mushroom suit to me is cooler than pyre because it's longer lasting. It's you could make a like pollution argument about the pyre. That's but, true. So I have so many questions. Rapid fire. Have you yeah. seen the the documentary? The fantastic fungi. Yeah, it's so okay. good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, that um, reinforced my mushroom suit vibe for sure. Yeah, my lady is very, very into mycelium. has has become very into mycelium this year, and is like it might save our lives. Yeah, I, I believe that. And also, though, have you seen the show Hannibal? Uh, yes, I have. I have not finished it, but I've watched like. There's three seasons, right? There are three seasons. Season three watched, is like, not great. It's not good. We gave no. up. It felt like uh, the third season spiraled into just like the effects person being like, how many filters can I put on this scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I fell off. But the first two seasons were awesome. There's a fungi. It's got to be in those first two seasons. The um, the the killer who's using all the people yes, in the yes, right. Yes. So, there, so there's – yeah. So I'm I'm – not that the options you're present, not that I need to like filter the options and like approve of them. I'm just like, you know, using myself as a, as I'm like checking in with my body, like how do these land for me? And yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued, but creeped out by the mushroom suit. Yeah. It's, uh, that's definitely the most excited I am about one. Mm-hmm. The pyre, I think would just be cool because it's like getting cremated, but in like, the coolest fashion 
you know, but the, the mushroom suit is really more at the core of my spiritual beliefs. That's like where I would, I would like to be, I would like to be wrapped in mushrooms and shoved into the earth. That sounds great. (laughs) Next thing I have for you is sort of a prompt. Okay. And it is about memory. So it feels very um, Fubut Sushi. Or wait, you say Fubut Sushi. Fubut Sushi, yeah. Fubut Sushi, okay. Fubut so Sushi. It feels very Fubut Sushi adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's based on my last one man show. I had this premise where in the afterlife, you get to fully relive one memory. It's like a room you step into and you're, it's not that you're, it's playing in your mind. It's like you are down in it, but you only get one and you can pop out of it whenever you want. You're not stuck. It's just like, it's like a holodeck kind of, uh, that you like, like Star Trek style, like transport to. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you can come back whenever. So if that were the case, what memory would you choose to relive? Okay, so I listened to previous episodes, so I've been thinking about this, and I have okay, an okay, ready, great. Uh, so Lynette and I uh, had unexplained infertility for four years as we tried to have a kid, and we didn't really know why we weren't able to get pregnant, but we like went to a bunch of doctors and did a bunch of tests, and it didn't work for four years and it was like really complicated. And during COVID um, we ended up qualifying through our insurance to get an IVF. And so we went through the IVF process and then we're at like the very last step before we find out if we were going to have a baby and if we were going to implant the baby and all this kind of stuff, we were like at the very last phase of that. And this is also peak COVID and I'm type one diabetic. And so I was like at home all the time because I had to be safe. Uh, why are you smiling? <laughs> are you also diabetic? I'm a type one diabetic. Oh, cool. I think I saw uh, Dexcom on your, on your Instagram somewhere, but. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That just, yeah, it's, it's freaking me out a little bit. The, the yeah. similarities are like a little. Here we go. Uh, upsetting and they need to stop. But okay. no, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I, I was in the same boat of like, not sure how I'm to like, exist. Well, and like, I know I'm technically immunocompromised, but it seems maybe not as much as say like an asthmatic or something. But, but yeah. I read the statistics I heard was like 70% of adults with type one who are exposed to COVID died. 70%. I didn't hear that stat, but thanks for yeah. adding that. Sorry. To my, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Also, but I was, maybe you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was very, I was very careful because I wasn't yep. sure how to. So, yeah. okay. Okay. You're, so you're stuck inside. I'm, yeah, we were going through me. this like long journey. It was really, really taxing. And we were at like the very last phase of that. And uh, we were like, we need to get out of town. This has been like grueling. And so we jumped in the car. And uh, also, this is kind of important to know is that we used to have two really lovely dogs. And the first one, excuse me, the first one died uh, 
the first week of lockdown, we had to put the first one to sleep because she had a stroke. And then the second one died in September. So it was March and September from uh, dog dementia. So we had like a very taxing first wave of COVID. And so then we were really burned out. We were really tired and we were like, okay, let's just get out of town. And we went to Wisconsin to the Cattle Moraine Forest. And it was like, late September, early October, and the leaves were just changing. And uh, everyone was still like very in the COVID thing. And it was like pre-election. But Lynette and I had this walk in the woods that was like the most picturesque, beautiful nature walk in the woods. Like the leaves were gorgeous. And we got like halfway around this trail and it started raining and we didn't have like umbrellas or anything, but it was like warm enough out. And so we got like drenched in the rain and we're like laughing and it was beautiful. And uh, it's one of those moments where like, when I think back on it, it feels, it was like so good. I was like, that had to have been someone else's life. Like how lucky to have lived in this beautiful moment with this person who I love to spend my life with. Uh it's one of the most amazing things. And then like two weeks later, we found out that we had a baby and, or that we had like an egg that we could use that was going to get implanted. So it was like this really pivotal, beautiful moment for us. And it had like, it was fearful because of COVID. And like, we were sad because we lost our dogs, but there was also all of this like hope buried inside of it. And really you weren't like beat up from the process. There was still, oh, of course hope we were there. super okay. devastated, but there was yeah. hope in it because th- it was the farthest we'd ever gotten. Okay. And she was like responding well to the treatment that she was doing, which like, uh, IVF is insane on women's bodies. Is and this so, the, I mean, like she has to like pump herself full of hormones and stuff. like Insane that, right? hormones. And yeah. like, uh, shots every day, like, like several shots a day in some cases and like pills and doctor's visits. And it's, it's so crazy. And like, as a diabetic, I was like, Oh, come on. Like I take shots. And then I saw the needles and I was like, Oh fuck. That needle is like three inches long. Oh, they're like like the heavy gauge ones. They're huge. They have like, they're intermuscular. So I have to like, I had to put it into her butt cheek. It was gnarly. And I don't know if I could have done it. And she like, uh, I mean, it's not to say she didn't struggle because that, that's a human thing, but she just like went through it gracefully and strongly. And we had one egg and that could have worked out of the 19 that they retrieved. It was like very slim chances. We got this beautiful kid. And so, uh, but that walk in the woods is this moment that's like, uh, it's everything and nothing. It was like, like nothing happened, but it was so beautiful. It rained. And it was like the best day. Well, it's so interesting because it's like, uh, also it's fucking me up because my partner and I went to Michigan and had a very fall leaf sort of walk in late September. And I'm like, this is fucking weird, man. But, but it's interesting because the memory itself is like totally lovely and exactly the kind of memory someone could choose to relive no matter what. But what gives it so much meaning is all of the context like and the context that, and that the context is so heavy that, yeah. that the, that the loveliness of it is like almost in greater relief with the background of how fucking awful it sounds like so many things were. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it was one of those moments where, uh, we got to leave all of that stuff. This is like when I, when I am thinking about, you know, like leaving some of your person behind, like, mm-hmm. uh, like none of that stuff was there as much with us. Like we, we decided to like shut the door and leave it in the car and like go into the woods. And that was like, it was so beautiful and super life affirming in a moment. Like this is also pre-election. Like it was just so brutal. And so to have this like two hours of just like insane forest bathing was like, it was the best. Yeah. My next question requires a little bit of context, but maybe you don't need this con. I, you know, I don't know uh, how much you found out about me, but you would have found out that I was type one at this point anyway, because I just kind of, I zipped through your Instagram and saw a Dexcom and was like, I think he's one of my, it's not a Dexcom. It's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, whatever the Medtronic one is, but um, yeah, but um. The, they should be paying you, dude. They do. Oh, <laughs> that's what I've I've only this last year as like, yeah. I don't know what your experience was, but like, this was the first year that I've identified as like a disabled person. Yeah, and weird, I isn't it? It felt. So, I was like, I don't think I'm disabled. I'm just a dude with diabetes. And then it's like, I don't know. Coming to having eyes like glued open to hella marginalized identities i was like oh maybe i am and what ways am i and and so i've only recently started paying attention to like diabetes instagram and twitter and memes and shit and it's like yeah oh that's a whole world that's like if you don't identify primarily as a diabetic for your personality you know it feels like weird to engage with i also totally get uh, so much of what you're talking about, because this was the first time in my life too, where I had to own being disabled. And that was like really frustrating for me. So I totally relate to that. I also know this whole thing where you don't want it to be your entire personality because I know those type one diabetic people who it's like all they post about. And, uh, it's like all they want to talk about is like what you like, what, what's your ratio? Like, you know, or whatever. And <laughs> right. like, that's cool. And I think that there are communities for people to exist with that, but like I've been diabetic since I was seven. And so I don't really know life without it. And so it's, there's like so much other interesting shit I'd rather talk about than like your carb ratio. That's Oh yeah. Well, and I get, yeah, I, it's interesting. I'm at a point where I'm like, well, it'd be nice to talk to someone about a carb ratio, like once every week maybe and be like, Hey, is your shit all fucked up too? You know? And, um, I mean, I, f- and like, I if find you need the memes that person, comforting now, basically. Yeah. If you need that person, you can always like hit me up. But it's one of those things. Where I love I, it. Yeah. I am not the kind of person, though, that like, I mean, as like a musician and a creative person, I have like a forward facing personality. And I don't really want that to be like the primary component of my forward facing personality. Like it's there and I'm there to talk about it just like, uh, like, you know, I, mental health conditions that I uh, live with and, you know, queerness and all this kind of stuff is all part of that. But like, I would much rather just be uh, that person with the people that I love and then like make music on the side. And it's like, I don't know. I think that there's room to be able to do that. And that's, 
maybe it's part of being a white dude too. There's like privilege being able to do all of that at the same time. But you were going to yeah. talk about you had a next thing. Sorry. No, it's okay. It's great. What was your next thing? I uh, um, don't rush. I, I'll, I'll get to it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I uh, well. Okay. So diabetes wise, speaking of type one diabetes, I. I I did the the big one. I was in a coma. Um, How old were so, you? Uh, thirty. I just turned okay. thirty. So wow, okay. seven seven years ago okay. now. Um, and You've I was been also diabetic as long as I wasn't diabetic in my life. Oh, dude, I was diabetic way before the coma. Oh, I would. Oh, I was taking bad care of myself i was selling the strips to a guy on craigslist you know i was thinking i could ballpark my my blood sugars um and just kind of freestyle use my pump that way yeah it was bad and i was like high all the time so Mm -hmm. if i had known that i was going into ketoacidosis i would have maybe called someone but instead i just like smoked weed about it and woke up a month later Oh um, my god! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's like my actual nightmare. So, yeah, yeah. and I've like I've been close to some of those instances, so I sort mm. of get it. Like I, yeah. uh, I've yeah, elbows with some of those moments in my life for sure. Yeah. Well, I don't mean to alarm, but I ask the my next question, which is, what's your coma? Because, uh. And and sometimes people are like, I wasn't in a coma. What are you talking about? And this is a rare instance where you might think I'm being quite literal, but I'm not. I had a coma, but we can go on. Yeah. Okay. You had a literal yeah. coma. I was in a literal coma, yeah. But For how long? How long? Uh, it was like 16 hours, but my heart stopped twice. Okay. Well, okay. So I like I, I legally died. I'm judgmental about yeah. lengths of comas, and if I think counts, you're entitled you know. to be judgmental because you're a month is what you said. That's a, long I, time. a month. They almost took me off life support. Whoa! And that night that they almost took me off life support, word spread that I died, and people eulogized me. On I read Facebook. a story about you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a This American Life thing. Yeah, yeah. I I listened to that. Yeah, yeah, that was me. Yeah. The pieces come together. Yeah, there you go. How weird to be like, man, what a what a relatable story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the Akron family of my of my backstory for you. Beautiful. Um, uh, wow. So the point being, yeah, uh, for the purposes of the metaphor of this question, that all could be a footnote to sobriety for me because that's almost a bigger thing in my life um except that i've milked this coma for a whole fucking comedy career since then you You, know you take what you You can hey especially as a white guy you're like i need some sort of identifying so okay so (laughs) jesus christ i mean seinfeld had airplane food so like you're doing pretty good yeah yeah exactly um so when i ask what's your coma what i mean is it doesn't have to be related to diabetes at all. I just mean a moment of transformation where before you were one version of yourself and after, however you want to think of it, you became a new version, you became a new person, something was stripped away. You know, for me, I it wasn't just sobriety. I started taking care, better care of my diabetes. I got serious about, you know, creative stuff and really put my nose to the grindstone, blah, blah, blah. But it, yeah. but it, and it can be something minuscule. It doesn't have to be epic and grand like that. 
Um, I have like follow-up questions for you because I want to talk to you about comas too. Uh, we can talk after. Yeah, but I think my answer is uh, very recent and it's uh, the birth of my son was like a thing where uh, it was like the most – I like I don't have other words for it and it feels so cheesy to say this, but it was like the most heroic dose psychedelic experience of my life to like – coach my wife through the process of, or like, you know, be her partner through the process of bringing another human into the world. And like, it was not uh, an easy birth for anybody. And like, she uh, had a lot of complications. And then Milo had a lot of complications in the first few days. And uh, I have diagnosed OCD. And so I was like, uh, I have an anxiety disorder. And so the whole like first two days I didn't sleep Jeez. and was like, uh, my blood sugar was like insane and high or low. Uh, it was, I like, I tried to write it at the two hundreds the whole time just so that I like, yeah, didn't get low mm-hmm. in a, like a moment, you know, but I also didn't want to be three fifty the whole time or whatever, but I just like felt miserable. I couldn't sleep. And all of this complaining when like my wife literally lost a liter of blood during labor and like had to get two blood transfusions. And uh, like when people ask me like, what's it like to be a dad? I'm like, it's sort of like if you have a memory palace, do you know the idea of like a memory palace? Right. Where you like, you put certain things in certain places. It's like a mnemonic device sort of. Yeah, kind of. It's like a way I also like, this is the thing I talked to my therapist about too, is it's sort of just like a way to keep, you're like to have a, a room around your brain. Like, you know where your brain is and where your brain stops and ends kind of stuff. Uh, and so it's like a helpful way for some people to like, remember things or organize their memories or whatever. Um, and I'm not a person who keeps like a robust active memory palace or whatever. <laughs> uh, but I will say that having a kid was like, I knew my way around my brain decently at that point in my life. and was like, I know what's going on and I'm like healthy and doing well and like therapy kicked ass and it's doing great for me. And then all of a sudden I like uh, moved a box when we had a kid and discovered this like new set of doors and opened it. And it was just like a fucking airplane hanger on the other side, like this whole other vacuous, enormous space of my being opened up in front of me. And it was like, all I had was like a match and I could just like see the first 10 feet. And I was like, oh man, I'm going in. And it's like this whole giant new realm of being a human being that I thought was going to happen, but I had no idea what that first step into that room was going to be like. That's my coma. What's the, what is the vastness of it? Like, what does the space consist of? Is it the future with Milo? Is it like days do you spend any time in the previous memory palace or is it like now it's all in this fucking airplane hangar and this is it forever you know what wow, i mean that, that's a good question i it's weird because i sort of feel like i'm like moving stuff from my first memory palace into the airplane <laughs> like now i'm like starting to realize like oh like this is like a really big space i can like bring cool stuff in here yeah. like every time i play a song for him i bring that record into the memory palace or whatever it's like that's sort of how i feel about it but it's also terrifying because there's so many unknowns it's like there's still huge portions of the airplane hangar where the lights won't turn on and like it's dark and you can't see past this like inky blackness of potential but also mystery 
that's super scary to me. So what are those things you're trying to figure out? Just how, is it like, I'm, I know I'm being, I know I'm being overly literal because no. I think it's really interesting to like, I just think it's interesting to, even if there aren't really answers to what I'm asking, like it's interesting to like try. And so like, are those inky black spots? Is that like figuring out which cry means which thing? Or is it something like deeper about like, knowing him on some deeper level. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's kind of all of those things. Like the first example I thought of was uh, like fundamental things. Like what color are his eyes going to be? Cause like baby's eyes don't set into the right color for like, or the permanent color for like up to three months. Right. 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 And so it's like little things like that where it's like, I don't, I don't like I look into his eyes all the time and yeah. I get lost in them and it's beautiful and magical. And then I'm always like, are his eyes going to be blue forever? Cause that's like where most like lighter complexion baby's eyes start. It's like, I wonder if he's going to have Lynette's eyes, which are like green or if they're going to get all like hazily like mine, like those little things. But then also like, what's his sense of humor going to be like, or like, what is, what's he going to like? Like those sorts of questions literally keep me up at night. Like wondering, like, like what if he, what if he doesn't like music? Or like, what if he really likes music and uh, becomes a career musician? You know, it's just like these kinds Mm -hmm, of things that mm -hmm. there's so much potential, but that potential is cloaked in this like weird, impenetrable darkness. And it sounds like the space that opened up is just, not just, but is his personality. And the fact that that is, you have to keep, his body alive for that personality to continue to exist and that your DNA helped create it seems to be what the like connecting door is to your palace. And I feel like it's also weird because we're already seeing like babies for the first four weeks are basically just like eating and pooping. Right. Like they don't do anything except Mm -hmm. for eat and poop and scream. Right. And sleep. And so we're just starting to start to see his personality and it's really wild to see his personality and also realize that it's so much like the two of us. Like he makes facial expressions and I'm like, that looks just like Lynette or like he'll do something. And she's like, that was, that was you like. And so I think that's also realizing that it's maybe not his personality, but it's this whole side of my personality that I didn't really think, think about existing until I had a kid and then suddenly realized like all of this stuff that's inside of me belongs to him. Mm. Articulating that kind of just fucked me up, honestly, to just say that to you <laughs> because like there's all so. of this stuff that I, there's all this stuff in my being in this weird airplane hanger of emotions, becoming a father that exists that I didn't know I contained. And then to suddenly realize that I contain all of this shit and it doesn't belong to me. It's a thing that I, Oh, to this beautiful child that's become a part of my life is like, uh, it's super exciting and also devastating to realize that there's so much shit that I have that I owe this kid, <laughs> like, mm. you know, and like the, in beautiful ways. But I think like, it's insane for people to say that they become a parent and they're like, yeah, it's cool. Like it's the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> and <laughs> that's why it's awesome. But it's like terrifying every day. And I think that, uh, more people should be more honest about that because it's 
It's insane. It's so scary. And like our species wouldn't exist without it. That is the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with your friends. Tell your friends about the show. Um, If you haven't subscribed in your app, please do that. Write a review on iTunes. Those always make me feel very nice. Make me know people are listening. Check out Matt and Fubitsushi's work. And until next week, remember, you are a mist. Impossible, you can do miracles. Miracles, you can do them. Have faith, you are human, only human, and human beings they do. <laughs>